So here's something that you didn't know before you walked in. You ready? You ready for me to tell you? You ready? Say you're ready. So do you know how many tons $16,000 of food produces? Two tons. Like how awesome is that, right? Like what an amazing and amazing thing. And, um, you know, just so you know, we, we did this as, um, at the church that I was at in Florida and to be honest with you, I was curious. I was like, man, how's our church going to respond? They've never done anything like this. We're not giving you any notice that we're doing anything like this. We're just preaching a message on being the hands and feet of Jesus in 1 John 3, 16 through 18. Then we're dismissing you early to go to a grocery store and to like buy items that crisis control needs. And our staff was like, man, how's it going to go? And I was like, man, I know it's going to go well. But I'm going to tell you, I didn't think it was going to go $16,000 worth well. And uh, man, what an amazing thing. And to see you all just step up to the plate. And, you know, I'm competitive by nature. You know that about me by now, I think. Um, and if you don't, you'll, that will continue to be affirmed in the weeks to come and months and years. But, but you guys did better than, than the church where we did this year after year after year in your first year. So can I just say you impressed me? And uh, what an awesome thing that that was, and what an amazing Crash the Dash week it was. And let me say thank you to Jacob, and, and he provided such great leadership for that. Can we give him a hand? And uh, man, we got an awesome staff. I didn't know if you realized that or not. And so uh, a lot of work went into that, and, and Jacob was right. We don't do this one week a year to say, oh, now we're done. Can't wait till next year. Uh, but we do this so that you can get your appetite wet, so to speak, to really see, man, I could, I could do this once a month. I could volunteer in crisis control once a week. Um, I could give blood and have a captive audience there as I'm squeezing that little tennis ball and tell that person about Jesus, because that's why we do this. So we do this, yes, to meet physical needs in our community, because God has called us to be a part of this community. But if we're not doing that with the motivation to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message that meets one's greatest need, then we failed. And so that's why we do what we do. And so let me just say how encouraged I was. This is my first Crash the Dash and how awesome it was. And we're excited um, as our life groups get kicked off here in a few weeks for life groups to, to figure out what partner uh, that we served in this past week do we want to partner with throughout the year and serve in. And so I'm excited to see what God is going to do through this one week as we do this throughout the year. Well, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to start a series that begins, obviously, today and will carry us through the next four weeks entitled this, People That Pray. Now, if I was to ask every one of you in this room this morning, do you believe that prayer is a vital aspect to your relationship with the Lord? What would you say? Yes! I would not believe that anyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ would say no to that question. Like we all would say yes, regardless of where our prayer life is right now in, in, our, in our walk with the Lord. But I think the better question is this. So think about this last week and ask yourself this. Does my prayer life in this last week reveal what I just answered in the question before? 
Because one thing we need to understand is our conduct really shows us what our real convictions are. Like I can stand up here this morning, you can sit there and answer that question. Do you believe that prayer is a vital part of your relationship with the Lord? And we all say a hearty yes. But how have we demonstrated that even in our last week in our personal relationship with the Lord? How many times did you go to God before you started your day and say, man, before I do anything of this day, before I walk out of those doors and hop in the car and go to work, before I take care of the kids at home and and wake them up, whatever it may be, man, I know I need to get alone with God and to ask Him to intervene in the day and ask for His strength because I know if I don't, I'm in trouble. Because our conduct really reveals our convictions. And here's one thing about prayer is I've never met anybody who, ever, who has ever said this, man, I don't believe I need to grow in my prayer life anymore. Man, I have arrived. I've never met anybody who, who has said that. And if I did meet someone who said that, then we need to have a conversation in regards to other things. But we all need to grow in our prayer life. And I think more than anything else, it's the one thing that I feel like most Christians would say, man, I struggle at this. I struggle at having a vibrant, life-giving prayer life. And I wonder why that is. And I thought to myself, I wonder why we don't pray more. And I came up with these top five excuses. And, and maybe this is one that you have if you said, man, if I look at my last week, man, it sure does not. My conduct does definitely not affirm my conviction. Maybe this is you. Why don't we pray? Here's, here's the first excuse I thought of. And what we say, I don't have time. I don't have time. I'm too busy. But let's be honest, right? We make time for the things that we really want to do, right? I've never said to myself, I'm too busy to eat. <laughs> never said that. Probably should, but, but never said, man, I don't have time to eat. I don't have time to, to pull out my phone and check ESPN to find out my favorite teams and did they win the game last night. I always seem to have time for that. I always seem to have time maybe for, maybe you say for a tea time. I always have time to do whatever. Why? Because you make time for what you want to do. That's that's an excuse we often use. I don't have time. Here's another one. I don't believe it's important. You may not want to verbalize that, but in reality you might say that. One of the excuses on why I don't pray the way that I should is I really don't believe it's important. Really don't believe it. Here's a third one. I don't know how. I wonder if that's you today. Say, man, I, I want to pray, and I know it's an important aspect of my relationship with the Lord, but in reality, I really don't know how. Well, man, I'm glad you're here today. But that's a, I think that's a top excuse. Here's the fourth one. These are honest. I get bored. I wonder how many of that's you. Like, I get bored. Like, I know it's important, and I, and, I, and I tell myself, man, I'm going to commit to pray every day, and I start praying, and then my mind wanders to a million different things, or, or I start praying in my mind, and then I'm like, what was I even doing for the past five minutes, right? I mean, I just get bored. So maybe that's an excuse that you have. Here's the last one that I thought of that I think one of these five would resonate with you. Many more, maybe it's more than one, but here's the last one that I wrote down. I don't believe it'll make a difference. 
Like maybe there's some in this room that would say, man, I remember I got on my knees every day and I called out for God to intervene in this specific situation every single day and it did not turn out the way that I asked. And I said after that, I'm not doing this again. Why? Because you believe that prayer doesn't make a difference. And so it's an excuse that you use. It's great for that person if they want to do that, but I'm not doing that again. I'm not going to be disappointed again. I don't believe prayer makes a difference. But what I want to do for the next four weeks is it's for us to dive into the scriptures, and we're going to do this this morning in Matthew chapter 6 and other places in the coming weeks, and really encourage us that what God wants from us is to be a person that prays. Like, there's a lot of things that I would desire our community to say about Harvest Bible Chapel, our church. But one of the things that I've been praying is that our church would be a church that, when, that people would say, man, Harvest Bible Chapel? And that's a church that prays. And to go a step further, that, that my family would be one that people would look at and say, man, the Pereiras, they're people that pray. That you would be compelled that if you have a family this morning, that you would say, man, what I want said about our family, not for us, not for pride, not for people to think more of us, but for God's glory to, to, to be revealed is that, man, we would be a family and our kids would know that, man, we're a family that prays. To go a step further, that I would desire that my wife and my kids and others that know me would say, Johnny, he's a guy that prays. Susie, she's a lady that prays. Becky, she's a lady that prays. Ed, he's a guy that prays. That that would be what would be a characteristic that we are longing for. Like I said, not so that others can make much of us, but so that we would be people that would value prayer in such a way that it couldn't help but be something that other people would notice. That we'd be a people that pray. I came up with a definition of prayer, and I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. Here's the definition that I came up with. Talking with my heavenly Father, knowing He is listening, and will answer for my good and His glory. Like That's what prayer is. is it's me conversing, talking with my heavenly Father. But it's not just me conversing with my Heavenly Father. It's this assurance in knowing that He will listen and He'll also answer for my good, but also, get this, for His glory. Like That's a working definition that we're going to use throughout this series. It's talking with my Heavenly Father, knowing that He will listen and will answer for my good and for His glory. Listen. One of the pillars of our church, some churches call them core convictions, but one of the pillars of our church is prayer. And we like to say it this way, that we believe firmly in the power of prayer. So one of the things that always frustrates me is you have churches that put up these core values, or we call them pillars or whatever. It's on the wall when you walk in up the stairs into this auditorium. That we wouldn't be a church that just brands ourselves that way, but that would be true of us. That we understand that we cannot do anything for God without first praying and being people of prayer. And so that's what we're going to look at for the next four weeks. That's what we're going to dive into. 
And I'm going to pray here in just a moment, but here's what I want you to pray as I pray out loud. That God would instruct you, that he would encourage you, and that he would even convict you on where you need to grow in your prayer life. And so let's pray. God, I thank you this morning for already being able to to pray to you with our voices. That's what singing is. It's prayer to music. And God, I thank you for that opportunity. God, we're here for one reason and one reason only, and that is to lift high the name of Jesus. So Lord, we come and we open up your scriptures, and we're in Matthew chapter 6 this morning, and we say this here at Harvest, that we have an assurance that when God's word is open, God's mouth is open. So Lord, I pray that we would receive what you have for us this morning, that you would not allow me to say anything that doesn't come straight from your word. Lord, that you would instruct us in regards to prayer and what it is in our life. God, that you would encourage us. There might be some in this room, and I praise God for that, that would say, man, their prayer life right now is such a sweet, precious thing. And God, would you just encourage them in that and celebrate that and relish that? Lord, for those of us who may be here and we're like, man, I know my prayer life is not what it should be. God, would you convict us on where we need to grow, what we need to confess, so that that can be something that is something that can be relished in and cherished and and bring comfort and security and grow our intimacy and our relationship with you. So Lord, guide us, lead us, direct us. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray, amen. Here's the title of the message this morning. It's simply this, the importance of prayer. And so I gave you plenty of time, right, to get to Matthew chapter 6. So can we start reading in verse 5? Jesus says this, and when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do or as those that aren't children of God, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Now let me stop here and give you background to why Jesus is instructing the listeners that he's speaking to in this way. Because in this time period in in, in Jerusalem, what would happen was is throughout the day and the afternoons, the trumpets would blow and it was a sign for the people wherever they were, if they were in the marketplace, think about this. Okay, you, we all went to Lowe's last week and we're grocery shopping and, or you're grocery shopping this week and you're, and you're pulling the cart and all of a sudden and you're, and you're in Jerusalem at the day and probably don't have carts, so you had a sack or whatever and you're grabbing the produce or whatever and the trumpets blow and when those trumpets blew, what you were called to do is to pray and to face the temple. So because that was the custom and how things were done in that day, what it provided was a tremendous stage for people that wanted to show off how well they prayed. It was an amazing environment to do so. It was a very opportunistic place to be able to show off your prayer skills. And so that's what would happen. The religious leaders or whatever it was, they would position themselves in such a way and that trumpet would blow and all of a sudden it was like showtime. So they would stand and they would pray out loud and they would, they would have dramatic pauses and be very eloquent in their prayers. Why? Because they wanted everyone else to look at them and say, man, how amazing are they? How religious are they? How godly are they? Look how well they pray. 
Oh, I wish I'd be able to pray like so-and-so at some point in my life. And so it provided opportunity for individuals to make much of themselves. And Jesus saw that, and that's why Jesus says what he says here in verses 5 through 7. You also had prayer in the synagogues. And in the synagogue, someone would stand up and would go to the front and they would read the law and they would pray and it provided, once again, another opportunity. You have a captive audience to be able to pray and to make someone think much of you. And that's why Jesus writes what he writes. Don't be like the hypocrites. And you want to pray, go in private, shut the door, pray in secret, not because that's the only place that you can pray, because then when... The reason was is because the Lord wasn't concerned about necessarily the words that were being used. He was concerned about the heart behind the words. And that's what Jesus is getting at in this passage of Scripture. And I thought to myself, how many of us, as we listed those excuses, might have fallen into one of those categories? And maybe you're like, man, I get bored when I pray. Lose my train of thought. Maybe like, man, I find myself repeating the same phrases over and over again. Maybe even some of you are like, yeah, I know the Lord's Prayer because I recite it every single day. And it's interesting that Jesus is talking about don't, don't say empty phrases, but make sure that what you're saying is coming from the heart. But here we have a prayer that we all know so well that's recited in with emptiness, oftentimes not even thinking about what's being said. So I don't know, regardless where you are in your prayer life, But can I start off this message this morning by giving you a practical way that you can pray? And if you call Harvest your home, you know I've said this before, but let me just give this with you because it's something that I practice. Because I've struggled from time to time and say, man, my mind has wandered to a million different things. Listen to me, I can't pray. If I'm in a prayer service, okay, and you see me with my eyes open, you know why my eyes are open? Because if I close my eyes, my mind starts to wander. So I don't know where we got that we had to pray with our eyes closed. I don't know where that came from. Somewhere along the line in Sunday school I was told that. Not sure there's anywhere in the Bible that says that. But So I pray with my eyes open. But let me give you some things that I use, not because I'm somebody, but they're just some practical ways that if you're struggling, maybe this can help you out. Can we start off this way? Here's the first thing. Get alone. Get alone. I mean... These things even come from this passage of Scripture. It says there in verse 6, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret. Now that's not saying that you shouldn't also pray in public or if someone calls on you in a life group to pray, that you say, I'm not supposed to pray, I'm only supposed to pray privately. That's not the point. Remember, the point is, is are you using prayer as an opportunity to make much of you? That's why Jesus said that. But in my private time with God, here's one of the practical things that helps me. Get alone. For some of you, that may be you have to get in a literal closet to get away from the kids. For some of you, that's me like, dear to your husband, I need 30 minutes to just get alone. Or vice versa. But the first thing is get alone. Here's the second thing. On your knees. And listen, I I come from a legalistic background, so I'm like overly cautious against this. Like, I'm like, I tell you, I can sniff it out, man. I'm like, (sighs) when I run into it, 
So it's not saying if you don't pray on your knees. Some of you are like, well, I don't pray on my knees. It doesn't mean you've done anything wrong. But for me, you know what it does? It just reminds me of who I'm praying to. For me to get on my knees. For me, it's a room upstairs where I get alone. Or, some, or there's another place I'll get out on my porch in the backyard to get alone. But I get on my knees. Why? Because I want to remind myself of who I'm praying to. On my knees, here's the third thing. With a list. So I am not a sentimental person. I'm not. Just ask Lori. I'm not. I'm not a sentimental person. But I've found that when I write out and have a prayer journal and write a list of what I'm asking God to intervene in, first of all, it reveals to me often when I'm writing out, how selfish am I? I mean, there's nobody else on this list but me. So what it does is it checks my heart, but it allows me to be able to work through something, to take those things to God. And here's the other beautiful thing. It also gives me an opportunity that when God intervenes, sometimes in the way that I prayed, sometimes in a different way, I can write the date next to it and say, man, look at all the ways that God was faithful as I prayed. It's helped my prayer life. Get alone, on my knees, with a list. And here's the last thing, out loud. Out loud. My mind wanders. I have such a hard time focusing So I pray out loud because you know what it does? It helps me from heaping up empty phrases, as Jesus says, not to do. So I pray out loud. It's therapy for me. I'm going to tell God how I feel. I'm going to tell God if I'm frustrated. I'm going to tell God if I'm angry. I'm going to tell God if I'm discouraged. I'm going to pray out loud so that it gets those things in my mind out. I'm going to pray out loud to keep me focused. Just some practical ways. Not the way but some practical ways, but I believe they're things that even you can see kind of are pulled out, not as precepts, but are as practices from what Jesus says. Look at verse 8. Because Jesus doesn't end there. He says, do not be like them. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like them. Look at this. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that phrase, here's what question I want to ask. You ready for this? I read it. Let me read it again. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Here's a question I often I, I want to ask when I, when I read that. Maybe this is you. Then why should I pray? You asking that? Wait a minute. If my father already knows what I need before I ask him, then why am I feeling so guilty about not praying? Why are we preaching a whole message and a whole series on prayer if at the end of the day, the Father already knows what I need even before I ask Him? Here's why, and it's the main idea I want you to get today. And I want you to write this down because this is so fundamental as you pray. Here it is. Prayer is about what God wants to do in the prayer not just the prayer. The prayer is about what God wants to do in you, the prayer, as much if not more than the prayer that you're asking for. It's so fundamental. It's so important to understand. Because here's what prayer is not. Prayer is not me asking God for everything that I want. How often do we view prayer like that? 
that we view it as God is my genie in the bottle and I'm coming to God and I'm going to rub my, my figurative lamp and God, I want you to grant me more than three wishes because I got more than three things I'm asking you to do. God, I'm, I'm, that's how often we view our prayer. Like prayer is just me asking God for stuff. But if I approach prayer like that, then it's me thinking I'm God and God being my servant. And that doesn't mean that I go to God with all my needs. That's not what I'm saying. But prayer is so much more than me going to God with my laundry list of things that I want Him to do to fill my agenda. That's not prayer. Prayer is so much about the prayer, about what God wants to do in me as I pray. Think about it when, they, when you've called out to God for different things. And how often does God not necessarily answer the very next moment about those things, that so, but though sometimes He does, but more often than not, God wants to grow me in what? In my trust, in my dependency on Him, in my perspective of eternity, in the way that He may answer things. He wants to strengthen my faith. And so when I read a phrase like I see in verse 8 when Jesus says, your father knows what you need before you ask him, that doesn't cause me to retreat and to say, then I'm not going to pray because I need to understand that prayer is, is about the prayer, not just the prayer. It's about what God wants to do in me. It's about him aligning my heart with his. It's about him growing my faith. It's about me declaring my dependency on him. That's why I get alone. That's why I hit my needs. That's why I write out a list. That's why I pray out loud. Is because it's inviting him into relationship, into the affairs of my life. I think of times in my life, and, and I don't have time to share different stories, but I think of times in my life when God's brought me to my knees and I've had to call out to him, and I think about the way that God has grown me in that, and it's been as much about what God's wanted to do in me, the prayer, as much as it's God answering the prayer that I wanted him to answer. So how do we pray? How do we pray? Let me give you four things this morning. Look at verse 9. Jesus goes into this prayer that we know so well that we probably have memorized, and he starts it off. And in Luke 11, though we don't have it in Matthew 6, the disciples actually ask Jesus, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Would you instruct us to pray? Because they saw how Jesus did it constantly. So Jesus instructs us, and in verse 9 it says, pray like this, our Father in heaven. Here's the first way that you and I pray. We personalize our prayers. Personalize your prayers. You know, Father, when we see that phrase, isn't a massive deal to us in the Western world in calling God Father. Especially if we've been a believer for a long time, like, you know, we've grown accustomed. Many of you may pray that way. But when Jesus uttered those words, Father, that was a revolutionary thing for a Jew. And it's interesting that Jesus, when he comes on the scenes, he addresses God only as Father when he prays. All his prayers address God as Father. The gospel records his using the word Father more than 60 times in reference to God. And if you look at the Old Testament, which is what the Jews would have had at this time, that this was Matthew 6, the context of what was going on, 
Only 14 times in the Old Testament is the word father used of God. And in those 14 times, it's referring to Israel as a nation. It's not even referring to an individual referring to God. So for a Jew to hear, okay, we're ready for the disciples to hear. Okay, God, we're ready. We're ready to hear how we're supposed to pray. And Jesus says, you pray like this. You say, our father. That blew their minds. Because you didn't talk to God that way. It's one thing for Jesus to talk to God that way. He was the Son of God. He was God in the flesh. But this would have blown the Jews and the disciples' minds that they could actually call God Father. And many of us know that that word that Jesus uses is an Aramaic term referred to as Abba. It means Daddy. It actually, if you're to translate it literally, has more of a reverence to it. It actually means calling God Dearest Father. Can we just stop and think that you right now, even as I'm talking, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has given you the right through his perfect life, his perfect death, and his resurrection, that you right now have the right through Jesus to call the God of the universe Father. Now let me say this. That doesn't mean that if you don't use the word Father when you pray, that you're praying wrong. That goes into legalism again. But it's the awareness that when I pray, when I get alone, if I'm on my knees, if I have my list or some other way, and I'm praying out loud, or maybe I can pray in my mind and not allow my mind to wander, however you get alone with God, that there is this overwhelming awareness of who you're praying to, that it's personal, that I'm not praying to a distant God, that I'm not praying to a God that doesn't care, that I'm not praying to a God that can't give of his time to pay attention to me. He's Father, and he's in heaven. The Father gives this idea of imminence. That's a big theological term to mean that he is involved in every aspect of my life. You ever get to a point where you're tired of people asking you questions or asking things of you? Anybody? Anybody get tired of that? Oh, yeah. I get tired of that. You know the awesome thing about that word father? It stresses his eminence that God never gets tired of it. He's your father. He is involved in every single aspect of your life. Like he, he wants to listen and does listen to the person calling out for God to heal them of their cancer. And he's also listening to the person that's asking for safety on a road trip of vacation. One has so much more consequences than the other. But get this, God cares for both. He's imminent. He's involved in every aspect. He's Father. But notice Jesus just doesn't say you pray our Father, but he says in heaven. See, that stresses his transcendence, that he's in heaven, that he's sovereign over everything. We sung about his sovereignty this morning. That regardless of what my circumstances are in my life right now, bad or good, that Jesus rules over them all. He's above them. He's not defined by them. He's not hamstrung by them. He's not handcuffed by them. He's our Father and He's in heaven. 
And when I pray, and when is the last time that I prayed, and I remind myself of the amazing reality that I'm praying, not to a distant God, but to a God who's my dearest dad. He's my daddy. He's my Abba. It's personal. Here's the second thing. Not just personalize your prayers, but look at what Jesus says in describing our Father, God the Father who's in heaven, our dearest Father. It says in verse, the end of verse 9, hallowed be your name. Some people say hallowed. I don't know, maybe it's, I grew up with a King James growing up, hallowed, just a habit. But that word simply means holy, set apart, the idea of giving reverence. That when I pray, that, that once it goes, goes back to prayer is not God is this genie in the bottle that I'm rubbing three times and God, you're going to grant me my wishes. And if you don't, then I'm going to determine that prayer is not worth it and I'm not going to see the importance of it anymore. No, no, no. That's not praying to God with reverence. He's our dearest Father, but He's holy. He's perfect. He can't do any wrong. And then it says, He uses the name, Hallowed be your name. Now here in our Western society, name doesn't have, your name doesn't have as much of a significance as it did in the Jewish culture. Think about it. When you're naming your child, some of you are pregnant right now, and you remember the fun that that was, and you'd have the name book, and you'd just go through the name book, and you'd say to your spouse, what do you think about this name? And they're like, no way. That kid's going to get totally killed in junior high if we name him that. Right? What do we determine as we name names? Does it sound good? How are we going to spell it? Is he or she going to get ridiculed for the rest of their life? Does it sound good with the last name, right? God forbid, we all know those people we went to school with that got ridiculed because their first name and their last name meant something weird or something else, right? Right? I mean, that's what we think of, right? Like, like what's it sound like? Does it sound good? Get this, if you're a teacher, this is going to resonate with you. Do I, have I taught anybody or do I know anybody that I didn't like by that name? Right? There's certain names that I would name, or name, name my child, and I never did, because I've never met anybody that I liked that was named by that name. And you want me to share those names with you, and I'm not going to do it. That's how we determine a name. But the Jews, and you even look in the Old Testament, names meant something. They signified something, an event someone's character. So when Jesus says, our Father in heaven, our dearest dad who is in heaven, who's transcendent above our issues and our problems, yet still desires and is intervening in them, our Father in heaven, hallowed, perfect is your name. What in essence what Jesus is saying is, is the character of our dad is perfect. It's always good. He can't do anything but good because he's holy and he's perfect. That's why when you find a passage of Scripture like Psalm 20, verse 7, when David says this, some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name, what he really is saying, in the character of our God. Hallowed be his name. He's holy. He's perfect. That's his character, which means he can't help but be anything less. Some of us have have had great dads. Maybe your dad has passed away, but you're like, man, I had a great dad. 
I have a great dad. Very thankful for my dad. But you know, my dad has weaknesses. Just like I hope my kids say, man, I love my dad, but he's got some weaknesses. We'd say, man, he's done this, he's done that. I look back and all the ways that he's provided for me in this way or that way, cared for me, loved me, been there for me, all those things. But we would still say, man, my dad still has some shortcomings. But here's the awesome thing. Our Heavenly Father does that. See, I would be remiss to think that there's not some people in here that never had a dad. Never had that experience. You long for that. Some of you maybe had a dad and he, didn't, he treated you anything but good. And so when you hear that term father, it does not ring well in your ears. But I want you to get this. God the Father, our dearest Father who is in heaven, whose name is holy, He's not the reflection of your earthly father. He's the perfection of it. He's the perfection of it. And so when I pray and I get on my knees, or whatever way I pray... Man, what I need to first do is, number one, I need to make sure that I have awareness that I am talking to a God who is personally involved in my life. I need to personalize my prayers. And I need to praise that Father because praise shapes prayer. Say that. Praise shapes prayer. If I'm praying in this way, it can't help but include praise. That God, I'm so thankful that I'm praying to you and that you are perfect. That you know better than I do. Because when I pray that way, it helps shape my perspective of His will and of my circumstances, which leads me into the third point. Here's the third way that we pray. Not just personalizing our prayers, not just praising our Father, but here's the third thing. Posture your heart. Posture your heart come to that verse 10 and we know this prayer so well right where jesus says your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven see that phrase your kingdom come has a future idea to it and has a present idea to it see the future idea to it is we have an assurance that jesus christ is coming back again and as revelation 21 says he will come and he will make all things new how we long for that right how my prayers ought to be involved god i'm not just concerned about the here and now but god i'm praying lord would you come back think about even with the events that just happened yesterday in charlottesville virginia and and the racism once again and the sin and what it reveals to us even about our society today and how things that we, we like to think that we move past that are still so there. And I look at that and I'm thinking in line of what I was going to preach this morning and saying, God, would your kingdom come and understanding that the gospel is the only thing that is truly going to rid racism. God, would your kingdom come? We long for the day that you'll come back. There's a future idea to it. But there's also a present idea to it. Because Jesus so much in the gospels preached on the kingdom. I mean, even think of John the Baptist as he announces Jesus in Mark 1. What does he say? The kingdom of God is at hand when he sees Jesus. He says, repent and believe in the gospel. That what I ought to be praying with when I say your kingdom come is, is Lord, we long for the day that you'll come and make all things new. But God, even as I pray, God, would you, I long 
to see the gospel be more evident in my life. For me to grow in the reality of my relationship with you. God, I long for my kids to grow in the gospel, maybe for them to come to Jesus Christ as their Savior, that your kingdom would come in their life. God, that the kingdom would come in those that I work with and knowing that they need Jesus. God, would the kingdom come in their life, that you would rule and reign in their heart and that they would accept Jesus as their Savior. There's a present idea to it. God, would the evidence of the gospel go out even in the crash, the dash that we had? God, your kingdom would come, that we would have opportunities to share the good news of Jesus with those that need it. God, would your kingdom come? Like, when's the last time we prayed that way? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen, we so easily pray starting off right with our demands. God, this is what I expect you to do. When what did we say the overarching idea is? Prayer is about what God wants to do in the prayer just as much as the prayer. So instead of me going to God with all these demands and, and going to God in such an attitude that I'm going to God in an attitude of dependence, I'm posturing my heart. That's the idea that Jesus is getting at. Lord, it's your kingdom and your will. It's not my kingdom and my will. Like, let me even evaluate my list that I'm writing down and saying, Lord, how much of this is about me building my kingdom? God, it's your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, you rule in heaven, but God, you also desire to rule in my heart. And for me to demonstrate that. And I wonder if we struggle to say that phrase. God, we're praying these things. We're asking you to do these things. We're seeking. We're knocking. God, we're telling you what we desire you to do. It's what you've told us to do, and there's nothing wrong with that. But God, I'm always scared to say this phrase, but let it be according to your will. And I wonder if it's because we've thought of God's will only in the temporal and forgotten that God's will is ultimately defined by the eternal. See, we think back to different times where we've sought God and we've asked Him to do something and it's been contrary to the way that we've asked and we say to ourselves, God's will's not good. I think about times in my life where in the immediate, I've, I've been so consumed with the temporal that I'm like, God, you didn't answer this the way that I wanted you to. Therefore, I'm struggling right now to say, your will be done. But then how often in my life have I been reminded is the big idea that we gave that prayer is about the prayer, not just the prayer. That God was doing something so much bigger than what I was even asking him to do. See, he was advancing his kingdom. He didn't answer that relative to be healed of cancer because he knew by taking that person to him in glory and the way that they represented their faith in the Lord through that cancer would have drawn, drew so many more people to the Lord and in the kingdom than would have happened if he would have been healed. And that's hard to think that way. But I have to constantly remind myself that, God, you don't define your will only by the temporal. God, you're concerned ultimately about how it will impact eternity. It's your kingdom come. It's your will be done. 
And it's praying as hard as that is for that perspective. God, would you give me eyes to see what you are doing, even when you're doing it differently than the way that I'm asking? And like I said before, that's why prayer is as much about the prayer than the prayer, because it's teaching me trust. It's teaching me dependency. It's giving me that perspective to not just think about the temporal, but to think about the eternity. And it doesn't mean that I don't ask God and plead with God to heal so-and-so or heal me or do this or do that. I do that, but I understand that God's will is not what's worst. God's will is what is best. I posture my heart in that way. And I ask God for the strength to do that because that's not natural. I posture my heart that way. Listen, nothing is outside the reach of prayer except that which is outside the will of God. And I know the will of God is the Word of God. And I know I'm in God's will and I'm being obedient to His Word. And so I want to shape my prayers like that, but I don't know how God's going to intervene. But I do know this, going back to our definition of prayer, that prayer is talking with my Heavenly Father, knowing that He will listen and will answer according to my ultimate good and for His glory. Here's the fourth thing and the last thing. Petition your father. See, the first three dealt with us understanding who God is. Why? Because when I remind myself of who God is, what does it do? It helps shape how I approach him and what he's doing with the needs that I'm coming him to. Because Jesus doesn't leave out the reality that God wants us to go to him with our needs and our desires. He doesn't leave that out. Look at what it says. He says, give us this day our daily bread. He says, God, your dearest father, wants you to go to him with your physical needs. And that word daily is an interesting word because it's not used anywhere else in the whole Bible. And most scholars believe it implies this idea that it's thinking that, God, because you've met my ultimate need for tomorrow, I can trust you to meet my present need for today. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you place your trust in Jesus' perfect life, death, and resurrection for your sins, and you're not relying on your your own good to have a relationship with Him and a home in heaven forever, if that's you this morning, He's met your ultimate need. So it's me shaping my prayers and saying, God, this need that I have right now, I know you're going to meet it in the best way possible because you already met my ultimate need. So give me that daily bread. I know you're going to provide it. See, faith and worry, they can't coexist. I've tried to exercise faith and to worry at the same time, and here's what I've come to understand. It doesn't work. That's why Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't be anxious about anything But on the flip side, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, giving him your needs, with thanksgiving, what did I say? Praise shapes prayer. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Personalize your prayers. Praise your Father. Posture your heart. Petition your Father. 
with your physical needs, but also with your spiritual needs. Because notice what Jesus says. He just doesn't say, give us this day our daily bread, but he also says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I'm so thankful that when I sin, I have a God who will forgive. And I'm so thankful that I walk out these doors and I face tomorrow that I can get alone with God and ask for the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit to enable me to live a life for His honor and glory. I can't do it without Him. That's why Jesus says, pray, Lord, give us the strength to not fall into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Listen, my prayer life either reveals my self-sufficiency or my dependency. And I don't know about you, but I know with my head that dependency is what God wants from me. And I want my heart to say the same thing. And so what God desires more than anything else is to grow the prayer, not just to answer the prayer, and so throughout this series, before we ever talked about specifically what do we want to pray for as a church, we had to first talk about, man, what's the importance of it? How do we do it? Because we're going to focus on praying for, our city, or praying for our church next week, praying for our city the following week, praying for our nation and world. And when you came in these doors this morning, you received this card. And if you didn't get this, you can get it on the way out. But on the back of it, you're going to have to get your reading glasses, but on the back of it, you'll see different things there to help guide you in your prayer time during this four-week series. And we're going to touch on every one of these things in the weeks to come. But we wanted to help you because oftentimes, what do we get? We get bored, we lose sight of things, and so this is to help guide you. This doesn't mean this is the only thing that you pray, but these are things that we're wanting every person that calls this place their home to be crying out to God for. And there's a part at the bottom of this card that says, I'm committing to pray every day from this time to this time. There's no way possible we're going to know what every time someone is praying. But this isn't for us to know. This is for you to know. This is for you saying, man, my prayer life has been great or it's been pathetic. But here's what I'm saying from today, that I'm committing that I'm going to pray to God every day from this time to this time. And I'm going to put it in a place to where it will remind me whether that's in my Bible, whether that's on my fridge, whether that's on the dash of my car, wherever it may be, and that we would be a people that would collectively be praying for these things. And listen to me, God works when God's people pray. And I can't wait to see what God's going to do in the lives of the people of our church, in, the, in your life, in my life, and the influence that God will give this church for His honor and His glory when we pray.